0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church.
1: Hi, I'm Diane and I'm Julia and we're going to read Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend
2: to his duties, and none of the household servants none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this hebrew has been brought to make to us to make a sport of us he came in here to sleep with me but i screamed when he heard me scream for help he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home then she told him this story that hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make a sport of me but as soon as i screamed for help he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house when his master heard the story of his wife told him saying this is how your slave treated me he burned with anger
3: Well thank you Diane and Julia for reading us God's word this morning and just as we've heard that uh, God was with Joseph and everything, uh, let's just take time to thank God for being with us right now. Father, we thank you for your continual presence with us. We thank you that at all times we know that you are near. And Lord, we just confess that often our eyes are off of you and we forget that you're near. We forget that we have your Holy Spirit residing in us. And Lord, in these moments, we ask that you you get our hearts right back onto you. Help us to remember your goodness, your graciousness, and help us to be uh, people who enjoy an ever deepening walk with you and each other. So thank you for being present with us now. Please guide my thoughts and my tongue as I share the things you've given me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to be getting into Genesis 39, the passage we just read, but just to give a little bit of a context of that, let's remember what we read last week from Genesis 37. Uh, This is where we find out that Joseph was a favored son, not only of Jacob, but of God. We also found out that he was really hated by his brothers, and also that God providentially made it happen that he would be a slave in Egypt. Uh, Acts 7 actually just very succinctly summarizes this uh, chapter 37 by saying, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. Uh, The patriarchs are the the founding uh, fathers of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And what we know is that his ten brothers hated him and got rid of him, sold him down to some Ishmaelites, some Midianites, and said, go down to Egypt, you're as good as dead to us. And um, we can imagine that this walk to Egypt would not have been a pleasant one. It was probably, again, walking on foot, probably tied up or in shackles, and it could have taken anywhere from two weeks to three weeks to get down there. But the thing that the Bible wants us to know is that God was with Joseph and he was aware of that. The the first words we read in this chapter is the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. This phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, It's like bookends to this chapter. It starts and ends that way, and it's sort of like the anthem of Joseph's life. The Lord was with him, and he was successful in everything he did. I just want to highlight, as we get into the first point about God being present in prosperity, that Potiphar had no role in making Joseph uh, prosperous. It was God who did that. God made Joseph successful before Potiphar ever promoted Joseph. He looked at Joseph's life and said, Wow, there's a successful young man. Joseph found favor in his sight. This is what we read in verse 5. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had him as overseer as his house and over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in the house and the field. So, one of the things we need to realize is that the main focus here isn't that, well, uh, Potiphar saw Joseph, he was a competent worker, a hard worker. Um, I believe that was true. But what scripture highlights is that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph, and that it was the Lord that made him successful. It's all about God. And he found favor, he he more or less realized that, well, if God is favoring Joseph, maybe if I favor him, God's favor will come on me and my household as well. And that's exactly what we hear in God's word, is that the blessing was on all that he had, his house and his field. Joseph was favored by God and man. There's another young man that we read of in the New Testament that has the same type of testimony. In Luke 2, verse 52, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and man. And it's important that we get things in that order, that we don't seek to get in the favor of people and then hope things are okay with God, but to realize that, no, the most important thing in life is to be in favor with God. And it's easy to get that messed up in life. Paul writes in Galatians 1.10, am I trying to win human approval? No, indeed, what I want is God's approval. That's what's most important. And with God's approval comes blessing. We read these, again, this word in in verse 5. From the time he made him overseer in his house and over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. Why? For Joseph's sake. The blessing of the lord was on all he had in his house and his field what scripture's really really highlighting here again is that it's not again that joseph is a, a great person of integrity a hard worker who does everything competently again i'm sure that's true but what it's focusing on is god is the hero he's the one who makes things happen he's the one who gets the credit for any success in joseph's life and so we have god as the hero joseph as god's favored son and it's almost like potiphar is almost written out of the story potiphar's name is actually only mentioned once in verse one and there it says that he was a a chief of pharaoh and that's going to become very important as we move later on in genesis so i won't talk too much about that now but potiphar was really only Valuable because of a potential connection with Pharaoh. And after that, the phrase that's used to describe him all the time is the Egyptian or the master. So we don't get anything that, oh wow, Joseph's prosperity had to do with Potiphar raising him up. No, it was God raised him up. And Potiphar was actually even blessed by the prosperity that God gave to Joseph and worked through his life So true prosperity is the presence of God. If you want to be truly rich, if you want to be truly fulfilled, it comes from being in God's presence. And it matters very little about your circumstance, whether they be pleasant or hard, whether you be financially rich or financially poor. Prosperity is about being in the presence of God. And that's what Potiphar saw in Joseph. Here is someone who the Lord is with. And it's not about the presence of things. It's not about how much money you have. If you look at life and say, I'm successful, I'm prosperous because look at all the things I have or the title I have, God says you need to get your eyes on what's true. Because financial status, health status, uh, your title and work, all those things are, far, are very low second, third, fourth, compared to having God as our primary focus in life. If we don't have God as our focus for our prosperity, we also won't be ready to be facing different trials or temptations. And we need to understand that just as God was present in prosperity, he's also present in the temptations that Joseph faced and that we face. Uh, I gave you some homework last week and it was to read through Genesis 38. If you haven't done it, it's okay. You're forgiven, but still do it. (laughs) Go back and read this chapter. It's really sometimes unfortunate if we skip over a chapter that's hard to read because there's always something valuable to learn there. And so this chapter is one of those that's hard to read and it's about Judah and Tamar. And Judah has, uh, finds a, a Canaanite wife, and he has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. And none of these guys seem to be really men of character. He finds Ur a wife, and her name is Tamar. Tamar, And uh, God just says Ur's wicked, and it simply says he put him to death. The custom at that time is if if someone died and left a spouse, the brother-in-law would marry that woman so that the lying could continue. So he has his his next son, uh, Onan, marry Tamar. And he treats her disrespectfully, and he doesn't want her to have children. And the Bible says, God saw what he did as wicked, and he put him to death. That bluntly. Judah is now worried that his youngest son might die too if they make this connection. So he says to Tamar, I want you to go live with your dad for a while. So she goes and she lives with his father with the idea that when Shelah, who was a younger boy, grew up, that she would be able to be in a relationship with him, have children, and carry on the family name. Shelah, he grows up, and nothing's said about bringing them together. So she makes a plan about how she can Um, kind of blackmail her father-in-law. So she dresses up like a cult prostitute and waits along the side of the road because she knows that her father-in-law is going to a place called Timnah to be uh, working on sheep shearing. And when he passes by, he sees her. He says, I'd like to go into you. She says, well, what will you give me for that? He says, what about if I give you a young goat? I don't have it now, but I'll send it to you. She goes, well, you have to give me a pledge of some sort. I'm not going to just trust you. He says, well, I'll give you my signet ring, I'll give you the the cord that I have, and I'll give you my staff. She goes, sure. Next thing the Bible says is that he went into Tamar, she conceived, and he kind of went on his way. So so three months later, Judah receives this uh, news that his daughter-in-law is pregnant, He says, wicked girl, bring her here and burn her. So they bring her there, and she says, before he does anything, can you just give him these items? These are the items that belong to the man who made me pregnant. He looks at it, and he goes, oh, she's more righteous than I. Leave her alone. The whole passage just... It's not a good passage. It shows a total dysfunctional family. If you think that you have family issues, just so you understand, this is part of Jesus' family tree. Judah has a son with his daughter-in-law, and her son is part of the ancestral line of Jesus Christ. God puts these things in his word so that he said, we can say that, you know what, no matter what happens in life, God understands. There is no junk that God can't work through. We need to know that. The more you read scripture and you see the ugly parts, you need to know that often it's not the Bible endorsing what's happening, it's exposing what's happening. And saying that I am a God of such grace that I can forgive the people who have done things like this and I can even use it even though they had no intent of good coming out of it. I can use evil and I can make good to come from it. You'll see this theme all throughout Genesis, and what a wonderful thing in our world to know that, that when evil happens, God's not the originator of it, but he can make something good happen from it. So in this situation, we see the shameful character of Judah, and what God wants us to see next is the shining example of Joseph. And we see in Genesis 39, we read these words that now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He took care of his body, he dressed well, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master is no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has held nothing back for me, except you. Two different scenarios here. With Judah, we see a person who I believe just had temptation all throughout his being. He didn't need a prostitute to tempt him. Imagine this. She knows her her father-in-law so well that her plan to get him is to dress up like a cult prostitute. Oh yeah, he's going to stop and ask me. She knows the character of her father-in-law. His temptation was all internal. There's so much there. Her her being there was secondary because he had a heart that was unfaithful, that was lustful. But then with Joseph, we see something that's more external temptation. The Bible doesn't make a comment about how he focused on these things. You read a lot of commentaries that will say, well, he was an 18-year-old guy. Of course, he was all kind of enraptured with her, and he had to do things not to be tempted, not to speak with her, not to be by her, definitely not to lie with her. And he did those things, but the scripture doesn't highlight anything that there was this internal temptation. I, I think that he named it properly, and he just said, that's wicked. And he wasn't at all attracted by her offer. I wanna read you these words from Psalm 101, verses two and three, and I think, I think they're words that would reflect his heart. This is me reading into it. But this is what we read in Psalm 101. I follow the path of integrity. O Lord, when will you come to me? I will run my life with a sincere heart inside my own house. I will not allow before my eyes any shameful thing. I hate those who act crookedly. What they do does not attract me. Temptation looks completely different if you're living outside of the presence of God or within the presence of God. And as believers, we are very privileged that he is always with us. The issue is I often take my eyes off of him And I forget that he is present. I forget how loving and gracious he is. And I am tempted to sin. But when I'm in my right mind and in my right posture with my Savior, I hate sin. I look at it and say, that was stupid. Why would I even think that way? When I'm in my clear mind, that's disgusting. But just a little glance away from my Savior and I'm caught again and again. And that's why it's so important that we learn to enjoy and value the privilege of the presence of God in our lives like Joseph did. Joseph said these words to Potiphar's wife, how could I do this great wickedness And sin against God. He didn't look at what Potiphar's wife was offering and saying, wow, that's kind of flattering. He didn't take some time to fantasize what it might be like, but still say, no, 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 I can't, I can't. He said very clearly, he refused her and he rebuked her and he said, this great wickedness. This is not something to be trifled with. What you're saying right now, that's wicked and I will have nothing to do with it, partly because Potiphar has trusted me with things under my care, and I'm going to be true for that trust, but most importantly, I am not going to sin against God, because all sin is first and foremost against God, and all sin has a very negative impact on our felt presence with him. Praise God that we know that God's grace covers us as believers in Jesus Christ when we sin. We're not going in and out of favor with God in that way, but it does impact our our experience and our awareness of his presence. And Joseph said, I'm not gonna sin against my God. We are to refuse sin and expose it, not practice sin, and defend it. I know that's what we're supposed to do, what I'm supposed to do. That's not always easy to do. I practice sin and I might not defend it, but I rationalize it. I tell myself in the moment, oh, I need this. You know, the other day, I had one of those moments where I chose to sin against God. Thankfully, right after, too, he just brings me to confess and be right with him. He offers his forgiveness continually. I wake up the next morning, and you still kind of feel like there's some penance to give. Penance would make me feel like I'm contributing somehow to my forgiveness. And God says, no, there's no place for penance And as I usually do, I got up in the morning and I opened up my Bible and I spent some time with him. And the first words I read are this from Psalm 103, verses 2 to 3, and then 10 to 12 My soul, bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity, he heals all your diseases. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We have such a great and magnificently forgiving God. And we need to live in that. And when Satan would shame you because you've chosen to sin, I'm assuming that all of us, we have sins that we, we don't do deliberately, but we sin, and then we can confess them when God makes us aware. But again, what really starts to bother me to my core is that I choose to sin often. I know I shouldn't, but in the moment, this is what I need, this is how I feel. And that is never right. That is never excusable. But man, is it ever wonderfully humbling when you read words like this in Scripture and God says, I've already covered your sin. So far as the east is from the west. I've removed that. Don't, Don't live apart from me in shame. Recognize your guilt, confess it, and now live in gratitude. If Satan makes you aware of your sin, don't try to hide it just say you're right I'm guilty but I'm also forgiven if you want to draw closer to God allow him to reveal to you more and more how much you really need him because he's forgiven you I think Joseph had that type of relationship with God that he had been learning all the time how much he needed the grace of his heavenly father to live well So we've seen about God's present in prosperity, God's present in temptation, but he was also present in prison. And here's the kicker. I sometimes feel like I deserve to be in prison for the way I act. And here, Joseph didn't do anything wrong. Actually, he did everything right, and he's put in prison unjustly. We read this he has told Potiphar's wife, no, he's actually rebuked her. He stays out of her way. One day he comes into the house and there's no other men workers around and she finds him and she grabs him and she more or less says, sleep with me. And he just runs. The cloak comes off of him. He just runs. Probably the wisest thing he could have done. Genesis 39, 11, 12 says, but one day when he went to the house to do his work, just a normal day, and none of the men were in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And so you know what she did to save face? I think. She told everybody, look what this Hebrew slave did. He came in here to rape me. I grabbed his clothes and I screamed and he ran away. If it wasn't for that i would have been i would have been raped by him potiphar comes home she tells him that story and she says this is your servant who did this and says potiphar just was enraged and it would be easy to think that it was primarily focused on joseph the bible doesn't say too clearly exactly what he was all feel or why he was feeling anger but what we do know is that if he really thought that Joseph was, did that. <laughs> he would have had him executed. He would have said, you, you're just dead. You're just a slave. I'm killing you. Uh, Potiphar probably knew the character of his wife, as did all her servants. And uh, he still had to help her save face. And he said, you know what? Joseph is going to prison. But not just any prison. He's going to the king's prison. And this is significant. This is the providence of God. Again, I, I'm pretty sure Joseph was assuming he just was going to receive the death penalty. He was just a slave. He had no legal rights. He should just die. And Potiphar puts him into the king's prison. And the reason that's important, and this is for chapters to come, is that it was in the prison that Joseph providentially meets servants of Pharaoh. Pharaoh. So again, even in this very unjust situation, God was orchestrating things to be done so that Joseph would meet the right people and be at the right place in the right time. But a lot of this was garbage, injustice. And Joseph had to believe through it all that his Lord, the God was with him and that he would provide for him. I can't imagine what it would have been like being in that prison knowing you were there unjustly knowing that you were there because you actually did what was right. That the man who put you in prison, you you didn't sleep with his wife. You did exactly the right things, and now you're in prison. But we read these very important words. But the Lord was with Joseph and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. He was always present with Joseph whether in prosperity or whether in prison. And wherever he went, one of the ways that you knew God was with him is God's favor was with him, and other people saw that. They recognized there's something different about this person. It's not him. It's who he belongs to. And you know, I, I didn't read the whole verse to you The part that is actually most meaningful to me in this section is, it says the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Here's Joseph in a prison that would be very unlike what we have today. Very much just a dungeon, dark place, dreary place. And it said, and he shows him steadfast love. Again, this is just me Thinking about what may have been in the heart of Joseph as he was waiting in prison. There's another psalm that talks about the psalmist being envious of the wicked who seem to be prosperous and always doing well. And he finds that troublesome. And we read these words. When, I was gr- when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. When you're despair, when you feel distraught, when life has hit rock bottom, cry out to God for help, let him know the things that concern you, the things that you say, this is not right, Lord, and then be able to say, but Lord, I still choose to be with you, and I know that is only because of your grace that holds me. That's why it's even possible for me to pray and praise you. The last verse in this chapter just says, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Again, this is the bookend of this chapter and the anthem of his life. And what I'd like you to, to see in this chapter is that the providence of God is sort of like sandwiched, sandwiches Joseph's faithfulness. We read about God being present with him when he was in prosperity. Then we hear about Joseph being faithful, and then we hear about God being present in prison. The reason you and I can at any degree be faithful is that we're surrounded by the presence of God. And you and I have a great privilege that Joseph didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have the whole counsel of God to have learned from these great men and women of faith. And we can say, because of your word and your Holy Spirit that helps me see you and understand you, I know the type of God you are. And I've seen and I've heard how you work. And Lord, I thank you that you are present with me. Lord, I thank you that you were present with Joseph. Help me to be faithful like Joseph was faithful. And faithfulness, again, is completely tied in with the presence of God. So as we close, just to say this is, the, this is the time to think about what success means for each and every one of us. When you think of success and you pray for God to prosper you, what comes to your mind? Are you thinking about God's presence being more prominent in your life? To this extent that when people look at you, they see there's someone that God is with. And I want that person in my life because if God blesses them, maybe he'll even bless me through them. That's the type of God we have, that he wants to be completely present with us. He wants us to experience that so that our witness for him is true and full and impacting I want to read you these words as we close, and I ask the worship team to come up. These words from Psalm 105, verses 1 and 4, and I I believe these words reflect the heart of someone who understands success properly, who says, I know that it has all to do with God being with me. Give thanks to Adonai, call on his name, make his deeds known among the peoples, Sing to him, sing praises to him. Talk about all his wonders, glory in his holy name. Let those seeking Adonai have joyful hearts. Seek Adonai in his strength. Always seek his presence. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we have been reminded that you are a God who is present. You are not absent and aloof, You don't leave us to live life on our own and here's a bunch of rules to live by. You are a God who desires great intimacy with each of us, not just as individuals, but collectively as your body. And you desire to be known to the world through your presence in us and through us. Lord, we ask that you make us successful, that you prosper the work of our hands, so that you might receive the glory, your due, through us and through people who don't yet know you. Use us, Lord, as a shining light on a dark hill. Make your presence known, be glorified. We pray this for the sake of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: Father, we have gathered here today in your presence but we also rejoice in the truth that you are always present and that you are always with us. And I pray that you would do whatever you choose in each of our hearts so that we might be so full of you and so enamored with you that when we are faced with the temptations that are inevitable every day, that it wouldn't just be about sin management and and just trying and trying and trying to do the right thing, but that we would be so full of you that all the other things would fade away. Lord, I pray that we would be uh, less, less focused on those other things and the distractions because of your presence in our life. And I pray that you bless each one of us as we go from here. I thank you for how much you love us, and I pray that we would, we would shine for you, like Doug just said, uh, during this week, for your glory and your name's sake. Amen. Have a wonderful day.